Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boai Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Bokring to discuss market uh, movements and market uh, commentary while at the same time having a few beers. So in today's episode, we are on, we've actually managed to make it to episode 26, which is, uh, which is quite something that does feel like quite a lot. Uh, Sam, I mean, we've both been somewhat trying to get ourselves away from uh, the endless market information and the endless barrage of data that we uh, we get rattled with every day from Twitter and things like that. You've taken a, an interesting step to get a dumb phone to ensure <laughs> that you are less plugged into the matrix over over the Christmas period. But Sam, uh, you know, aside from that, uh, what are you drinking and uh, what shall we discuss as we're, we're less informed than we would normally be? There has been a big VIX spike today, uh, well, it was almost overnight. So uh, something has rattled the markets. It doesn't seem like the $600 stimulus check approved by the feds over in the States is, uh, is, has impressed anybody by any measure. Uh, but Sam, yeah, tell me, what, what are you drinking and what should we discuss? Yeah, so I mean, I was thinking about this just as you were going through the little opening uh, monologue there. Uh, we might not, this might be a really short podcast or we just talk about beer the whole time because as you say, <laughs> we've, uh, we've both attempted to somewhat disconnect uh, from everything. I've ta- I finished up work for two weeks on Friday and as part of my, uh, I guess, uh, foray into the proper holiday season, I decided to not bin my smartphone, but take the SIM card out and put it into a Nokia 30, 31 something or 32 something. Uh, and it is, they call it a feature phone. So it has features, which I would assume most phones have features like buttons and the ability to call and text. But as I was saying to you off air, uh, it also has, this is a 4G one. Cause I figured there were some Nokias for sale that were like 2G. And I'm like, I don't even know if 2G networks still operate. Um, so I decided I'd, I'd go modern disconnected so that at least I could still make phone calls. And do you want to know what? I've actually made three phone calls in the last couple of days. That's three more phone calls, I think, than I've made the entire year. Uh, getting back to making an, an actual phone call is, is quite a revelation so far for me. Um, so I, I'm going to c- continue to rock the Nokia feature phone, um, which ha- has very minimal features, uh, and drink f- basically for the next two weeks. And speaking of drinking, I my my beer today, the first one is called the Repeater. So hopefully it doesn't repeat on me, but I believe the idea is that you will repeat consumption of the beer because it is. Boaz, it is a session IPA uh, mm. from the Full Circle Brew Co. So a 4.2% session IPA. Lovely, lovely little can, little sort of embosed or whatever the opposite of embosed is, little uh, yellow and white kind of thing label with like, it's, it looks like, I don't know. I can't, I'm so bad at describing these things. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's so far so good. Uh, it might be an it might be a genuine repeater on me. Yeah, I uh, if memory serves, I think some of the old old rifles uh, from back in sort of Wild West kind of period and later were referred to as repeating rifles or or, oh, or repeaters. Right. I think that was uh, probably gun nuts would shred me for this, but I'm assuming this is um, it's kind of almost an old. Uh, getting when we got close to the the term semi-automatic, I think repeating rifle, uh, the ability to fire more than one shot uh, while you know pulling the trigger, you for each shot, but it, it would repeat in that it would automatically reload to a certain degree. But I, that I I could be incorrect on that, but maybe maybe it's a reference to a repeater. But then it's a session IPA, maybe. so it's probably not that strong like a repeater. No, no, four point two percent from the good people at the Full Circle Brew Co. in Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> that's, my best. that's my best. Actually, do you know what? Speaking of Geordie, so I watched uh, that, uh, the, the new documentary on Netflix uh, about the Yorkshire Ripper. And so like coming from Australia, I had no real knowledge of this story or this serial killer uh, at all. But I was, I'd like, binged this the whole document it was like four limited run four limited episodes like 45 minutes absolutely fascinatingly disturbing 
um, and 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 the the incompetency of the the police at the time was astounding because they thought he was a Geordie, but it, and it, and it like led them completely astray, and they could have caught him many times before he'd murdered a whole bunch more people, uh, but it ends up that he wasn't. He was like a married dude, just unassuming, uh, just crazy, crazy. If no one's if you haven't seen it, watch this documentary on Netflix. It's it's just mental. Wait, they're certain they know who it is now. My, because my, my. No, uh, the Yorkshire Ripper, not Jack the Ripper. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So I don't, Why I mean, do I don't even really know. Geordie? Well, so someone, someone sent in a hoax uh, voice recording and some letters, and the cops were just so desperate to try and get a lead that they just basically accepted that it was uh, that person. And the, the voice on the, on the thing, was was a Geordie. It was a very distinct Geordie accent, and so they were like, "If it, if your suspect isn't a Geordie, then we don't want to know about it." And uh, and this this one of these coppers was like, "I'm adamant. This is the this is the guy we need to be looking at." But you know, he's, he's he fits all the identikit. He's from was in the places where the murders took place, and then they were like, "Is he a Geordie?" And he's like, well, "No, he's not." They're like, "I don't want to hear about it." Uh, but it ended up that that was him. Ah, oh, it's just crazy. It blew my mind. Uh, and as a, as I say, coming from Australia, you just, it's not a story you hear about, but it just blew me away. Um, not really related to the markets or beer, but uh, holy <laughs> Moses. We might not talk about a lot about the markets. We will get to the markets, but you know, it's Christmas time. So if you want some light Christmas viewing, watch a documentary on the Yorkshire Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny that with uh, that Geordie thing, because you know, I'm here. I am in Aberdeen. Uh, in terms of my exploration of England and all of the things in England, like it's still so limited. I've, I've been to all manner of places in England, but just the number of towns and the number of accents, uh, oh, the number of the culture, cultural differences, and things. I, you know, there's still so much, and yeah, there's still so much in in Scotland. Like uh, I think my my knowledge of England's bad. But then at the same time, I think the, the average Englishman's knowledge of Scotland and the various sort of areas and cliques and cultures and whatever, and, and mm. accents certainly, uh, is pretty bad as well. The thing with, uh, with, with the Geordie accent, which I found, uh, which I discovered relatively recently, which I thought was quite, uh, I thought was really interesting, was that, uh, you know, in South Africa, right, South Africans use the word China to call to refer to a, a good friend is a mate is a, a right. is, your, is your, a China so you say like my China like that's oh, my right. that's my mate right so uh, and for example uh, and we can relate it to the market here uh, <laughs> I believe his name is is it Ricardo Spani South African uh, founder of Monero um, who I remember yes. him posting on Twitter right. and he's a you know he's he's proper South African uh, and he uh, said you know I've just received the most South African text ever and he just posted it and he was like you know uh how are you doing my china you know let's go over and have a braai and whatever but using all of this south african slang <laughs> using the, the term china is something that you really only hear south africans say but the reason why they say that is because you know way back when hundreds of years ago when people were going over uh to uh, you know they were emigrating to go to uh, south africa you know back then uh, you know in places like rhodesia and whatever way mm -hmm. back then um it was loads of Geordies. And back then, Geordies still used the terms uh, rhyming slang. So it was best mates rhymes with China plates. So uh, they would quote uh -huh. people as their China, right? right? It would be, it would be. And so South Africans say that now, but Geordies don't, which I find very interesting. So we think of something as very South African, but actually this is something that Geordies say, uh, used to say ultimately. Like this is like a, a British export that has now become thought of as, you know, originating in South Africa, which I thought, thought was kind of weird. You know, um, it's, it's fascinating that because like, so uh, coming from Australia where you can travel the entire uh, coastal coastline of Australia and you would probably struggle to tell a different accent from anywhere in the country. Really? Really, L really, I genuinely mean that. Is it if 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 someone from Queensland uh, came on, like like Nick Hubble, like you, could you tell the difference from where Nick Hubble and I are from? 
Oh yeah, yeah, but Nicola, Nick Hubble has a uh, yeah, Nick Hubble has a different accent, but he's like he was born in Germany and stuff, so he's got like different. Okay, he's probably not the best example to use, um, <laughs> but uh, probably you know, basically someone from Queensland or that had lived in Queensland a very long time, or someone from Perth, uh, or someone from Melbourne or Sydney. You from their voice alone, uh, there are other identifying markers, but from their voice alone, uh, you would not be able to tell the difference, right? But here in in the UK. Like you can go from down south right all the way up through England, up into Scotland, the tip of Scotland, off uh, west into Wales, obviously then over to Ireland. You know, you don't have to go far. And there's literally the, the variance in accents is off the chart. It blows me away. It blows me away. Like I can, I can go 10 miles away and people have got different accents from the people where, around me here. Um, but weirdly, Oh, so the other thing is that when we were talking about British exports to other countries, right? So the South Africans have picked up a Geordie, Geordie saying is that I walk around uh, when I go, go for a dog walk or, or I'm out, you know, going for a walk with Max uh, or whatever. I wear a, a Mansfield beanie. Now, most people in England know of Mansfield as being a, a place here in England. Uh, which is, of course, a place I've never been. And the Mansfield beanie that I wear has absolutely nothing to do with Mansfield here. It's actually from back in Australia where my dad and all my family live is a little country town called Mansfield. And that's the local footy clubs, the Mansfield footy club. So here right. I am walking around. I'm probably going to offend someone and get beaten up by walking into a pub with a Mansfield footy beanie on. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, you're Mansfield. I'm like, nah, mate, nah, mate, mate. <laughs> definitely wrong place so it's it's crazy when you talk about the british exports and how far things have reached around the world i was again i was, I was, I was, I was, I was on twitter last week or something and someone was talking about uh the influence on modern america and obviously a significant part of that is from you know early british uh, colonialization and obviously same for australia so you know when we talk about british exports there was a period in time as you all are aware uh, where, where where Britain was so influential and it seems to have lost its way. And I'm bringing this back to the markets because British exports now seem to be on an absolute <laughs> grinding halt if the trucks and lorries queuing up down at uh, Dover uh, are anything to go by because uh, it seems as though no one's getting anything sent anywhere uh, between the UK and Europe at the moment. And I believe, I believe that's tanked the markets today. Yeah, I mean... It's probably really bullish for decent whiskey because uh, all the people mm. who want it in all these countries aren't going to be able to get it That's or they're point. probably going to have a lot of problems getting it. It's a bit like with Japanese whiskey where I believe it was in the early 90s where they, they you know, the, the Japanese distillers expected a bear market in whiskey. They expected a lack of demand. And you know this is on the back of the crash in Japan uh, where you know there was... Uh, you know, there was a massive bubble in the stock market, but it just in broadly, land values crashed uh, and the economy just completely stagnated, entered a deflationary depression. And these Japanese distillers were like, well, like didn't expect, you know, didn't expect there to be a massive lot of demand for Japanese whiskey. And as a result, they, they pared back their operations. And, you know, 10 years later, uh, well, actually, you know, there is a lot of demand for Japanese whiskey. And all they've done, because it takes so long to make whiskey, is create this... Uh, this supply squeeze, which uh, makes Japanese whiskey very, very expensive to this day. I, I imagine uh, the lack of export to other places. If there is, if there are big problems when it comes to when it comes to whiskey exports uh, from the UK to other countries, uh, because you know Scotch whiskey is uh, is very, very good. Uh, though I, 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 I'm somewhat biased, but uh, you know it is very good indeed. Uh, I imagine I'll create some interesting distortions. I think the well, Scotch, Scotch whiskey is like champagne a bit in in a, in a sense of there is a lot of very good Scotch whiskey, uh, and I also there's also probably a a a I guess you'd call it almost a brand premium. Just the fact it's from Scotland uh, yeah, definitely. is can be called Scotch whiskeys that it carries certainly an uh, I guess an allure that it's 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 even some some perhaps are a little even better than they are, but like don't. Don't get me wrong. Plenty, you know, if you want the <laughs> finest whiskies, I, you know, I believe that, that the, the Scots do it the best. Um, but you're right. I, yeah, I wonder if you're a, if you're a distiller, do you? How do you? What, what do you do in a situation like this? Do you? 
ease back, like you say, production? Do you do you do maybe a, a, a finer, finite, limited edition run or special batches of of twenty twenty the COVID release? Well, um, it would or do it, you you ramp it, it up? Depend, I, I think on uh, how squeezed for cash the individual business is. Because ultimately, if you're in a good position when it comes to uh, cash flow, uh, it's actually kind of a good thing. You don't really mind if the what you're distilling takes last another year. Mm. Because the way it works in whiskey is there are plenty of people out there in the market who will pay for something simply because it has a higher age statement. Mm. So having giving it another year uh, is generally seen as a good thing. Now there are plenty of exceptions to this, and people are really into their and their whiskey. Will say no, 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 age, you know, age doesn't mean that much, and whatever. Uh, it, there's been a very interesting proliferation of a non-age statement whiskey uh, recently from major distillers uh, over the past several years, in fact, uh, where they come up with these nice marketing slogans, you know, they, these these fancy names, and they will. Uh, you know, give it a very fancy logo. You know, Highland Park is pretty notorious for this. Ardbeg is kind of notorious for that too. Uh, where you know, they it's not got an age statement, but it's got like this really big name and it's funny label and whatever. And it's all I I, I put you know the reason for this is because there is not enough whiskey with an age statement to meet demand. So there's there are enough mm. people who want whiskey who are kind of new to it and so don't care too much about age. And so they'll, they'll just take something with a sexy name. And I think that's what's driven this proliferation in non-age statement whiskey. But uh, generally speaking, if you're, if you're a company in a good situation, right, you had, you had, you've got enough cash, you're not, you're not getting completely trashed uh, when it comes to and, you know, facing constraints, then it, there's no problem in just leaving everything in for you know, another year because that gives you another year. It's a bit like woodland, you know, if like the lumber market isn't looking great one year, you don't need to cut the forest down, just leave them another year and they'll grow even bigger, right? There's no, uh, it's, it's one yeah, of those things get where more, you get more yield from them. Yeah, exactly. The time is really on your side rather than against you. It's only if you, you personally or as a business, you face squeezes that you need to sort of, uh, you, get, you get squeezed by the market and get, get pushed out of it. Uh, I should probably say what I'm drinking tonight. Uh, well, I'm about halfway through now. <laughs> As I am in Aberdeen, I've got a uh, I've got an Aberdeenshire brewery here to start us off with. It's Wild Rhino by Burnside Brewery. I have had quite a few from Burnside Brewery before. Uh, this is a 4.5%, and it is a blonde beer. So it doesn't taste actually all that blonde, and it certainly doesn't taste very strong considering it's called Wild Rhino. It's got <laughs> a um, it's got a white fern on a black background on the front, which makes me think of the All Blacks really, rather than anything specifically from Aberdeen. But uh, now it tastes okay, and, uh, and this is oh, this is actually from Lawrence Kirk, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, Lawrence Kirk is a little sort of town in Aberdeenshire. You can get there from the train; doesn't take very long. Uh, just out in the countryside, and uh, yeah, this is this is an interesting one. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll wait before before rating it. I think because I've still got a bit left. Uh, but Sam, I think there is one thing that we could discuss because it has been actually quite a while since episode 25. This has been a little longer than we would normally do before we do another episode, if memory serves. I think it's been slightly more than a week, though I could be incorrect. I think so, yeah. And uh, sure. during that period, we have seen some pretty epic action in the Bitcoin price. Ah, uh, yes. So well above all-time high levels at the time of recording. We're looking at 23,000. It's been above twenty three thousand. It's been above already. I mean, this is this is pretty pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Yeah. I mean, yesterday. So last uh, yesterday evening, last evening, yesterday evening, Sunday evening. Uh, brain not working still good anymore. Uh, <laughs> it it, it uh, tipped over twenty four thousand. So uh, it's quite clear that that twenty thousand mark uh, was a very significant barrier uh, for traders investors have what you will um and it's just smashed on through that um now there is something else that's quite interesting uh and it seems to be based around businesses are now genuinely looking at bitcoin and thinking holy shit i need some of this on my balance sheet otherwise i'm gonna get debased uh we may be looking at 2021 as the year of the debasement um, because I saw that um, Michael Saylor over at MicroStrategy 
has uh, added uh, to their Bitcoin booty and they now hold over a billion dollars on their balance sheet of Bitcoin. Uh, and I believe that he also was in a little Twitter uh, to and fro with Elon Musk, with Musk questioning about how to go about getting large volumes of Bitcoin onto one's balance sheet, which was freaking fascinating when I heard that. Because when you've got companies buying a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, so I think it was worked out to be like 70 something thousand Bitcoin that MicroStrategy now have. That's just one company. Imagine if Tesla decides to add a billion dollars, another 70 odd thousand uh, Bitcoin to their balance sheet, or then someone like Amazon or Microsoft or Apple or any other company in the S&P 500, the LSE, the, the FTSE 250, the ASX 200, if they all just decide, you know what, maybe we need to add a little bit of Bitcoin to our balance sheet. The simple fact is there ain't enough Bitcoin to go around, folks. Um, so this is starting to get a little bit mental. <laughs> right. So we have, uh, you know, I've mentioned on a previous uh, episode of BBB, uh, you know, on the topic of Michael Saylor. And, you know, that, like I said back then, if memory serves, uh, that like this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have, like I have, I have, you know, I've, I've, so I have plenty of faith in Bitcoin. I've, I've held it for many years, but at the same time, what he is doing with micro strategy feels... Feels so... like it's his own personal account? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so if you can, so Michael Saylor... God only got into Bitcoin big time when he became really evangelical about it, you know, relatively yeah. recently. It was after the 2017 soar, right? So if you can imagine what would have happened if in 2017 he developed his conviction on Bitcoin uh, and he started adding to micro, you know, started, uh, you know, devoting MicroStrategy's treasury to Bitcoin and began not only buying Bitcoin with their cash, but but also issuing vast <laughs> quantities of debt to finance yeah. for further purchases of Bitcoin. Michael Saylor is that guy that buys Bitcoin with his credit card, basically. If yeah, exactly, but on steroids. Mm -hmm. So if we imagine what would have happened in 2017 if he'd done that, and then 2018 rolls around, what would have happened? You know, what would have happened? So what does happen in the future if we do see you know a significant fall back? Yeah, remains to be seen. I so I I I am so entertained by the spectacle. It is quite something that the actually sort of taking the bond market and saying, you know what, I'm going to use you to buy Bitcoin is. <laughs> it feels like exactly. It's almost like the height. You know the the apotheosis. You know the final. The, the final uh, triumph of central banks and getting people to borrow money and getting the, the, the corporate bond market, you know, to, you know, to <laughs> it's to the function. irony is what they end up buying with. Yeah, exactly. What, what, so you wanted us to borrow money to invest in stuff. <laughs> so you know, we are. We buy. Um, <laughs> you know, and just as, just in terms of the price increases since he's done that, I mean, he can already pay off all the interest from the, from the assets he holds from the Bitcoin Micro strategy is bought. If they were to sell now, they could easily pay off all the interest. If they want, they could sell yep. a bit now and pay all, 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 all. Yep. They won't because Sailor is clearly a is clearly a lunatic, so he's not going to do it. But um, well, they could yeah, sell it, stock too. I mean, like you can yeah. tell when they started adding it. Well, you can tell when they started making moves, and then they started getting serious about it because which was about mid July, because from mid July where the stock price of MicroStrategy was about $117. Uh, it's now $316. So MicroStrategy has taken that hockey stick curve along with the price of Bitcoin. So now MicroStrategy is now effectively uh, the Bitcoin a, a, tra trading as a crypto company. Right, yeah. So it's, yeah, this is another side of it I wanted to discuss with you, actually. Uh, it's this case, it's, it's just like the SEC is taking forever to approve a mm. Bitcoin ETF. And Sailor yeah. is just saying, if you don't do it, I will. That's uh, effectively I, what they almost are, yeah. Yeah, and MicroStrategy is just going to become this, is going to become the pseudo Bitcoin ETF almost. I mean, you could say that uh, GBC, you know, the, the um, Granite, 
their uh, their um, investment trust is a bit like that. But yeah. this is almost different. Uh, almost when, because when you consider that they are they are levering their balance sheet in order to buy Bitcoin, it's almost mm. more more of a Bitcoin um, more more of a more of a Bitcoin exposed share. It's more a Bitcoin hedge fund, really. Yeah, uh, um, you know, you know, they they do they microstrategy still does plenty of things other than crypto. But yeah. if you just look at what Sailor is saying and what are you focusing all of his time on uh it just seems like this is definitely something he's become quite devoted to you know sailor seems like a very interesting character my the impression i get from him actually is somebody who's done who's had who's had a psychedelic experience <laughs> like a new person and uh you know a changed man he's reborn his, yeah he, well just a, his conviction when he comes off in these interviews it's like it come it comes across almost as you know Bitcoin could collapse in dollar value, and he wouldn't change. Like he feels like he's become, you know, re- so sold on it that, or you could, you know, you could strip almost everything from the guy, and he probably wouldn't, you know, in terms of in terms of material wealth, and he wouldn't be that phased by it. He, yeah, but I, I think he's on. But he's onto something, right? And I, I I kind of absolutely agree with this angle on it. Is that the from this point on? For me, the and and I think this is pretty much the same for him. The more likely outcome is a crash in the dollar in relative Bitcoin terms, as opposed to a crash in Bitcoin in relative dollar terms. So, if anything's going to crash and have the ass fall out of it, it's going to be the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, and that's why that's why you you would own Bitcoin, and that's why these companies are owning Bitcoin. Because imagine if you've got Let's say you're, what's a good company? So who, who's got a load of cash? What's Apple sitting on at the Apple, moment? Apple, Nike. Cash-wise, I'm just going to see if I can pull up, quickly pull up uh, their balance sheet. So Apple's cash and cash equivalents, uh, just, just cash and cash equivalents at the moment, as of 29th of September, is about $38 billion. If... If the U.S. dollar, uh, if the RSN falls out of U.S. dollar, and you're looking at like something like a fifty percent uh, debasement in the U.S. dollar, that's a lot of money that these companies stand to lose uh, off basically off their balance sheet. So, wouldn't you hedge against that by having a, a proportion of your balance sheet allocated to Bitcoin? Now that you've got custodial solutions in place that uh, meet institutional grade custodial uh, requirements effectively it would make sense if you're the cfo of these companies to protect your company's financial position because the amount that central banks are running riot with their wonderfully huge 600 dollars stimulus checks um you know it's it would i think it's i think it would be irresponsible for cto or cfos to not be looking at something like Bitcoin to add to their balance sheets. And I think that's the kind of eye-opening moment for a lot of people now that maybe haven't got into Bitcoin before is these companies are seriously looking at pushing a lot of money into this space just to hedge themselves a little bit uh, against just ongoing permanent money printing effectively. See, my so I think the rebuttal to that remains. Not much has changed here when it comes to, you know, there is still a plan in operation for extreme monetary debasement, or there is at least a mechanism for extreme monetary debasement that has been begun, but is taking away in the background. Um, and Bitcoin is still is still doing its thing, right? But I mean, that's the same as 2017. So if Michael Saylor did this in 2017. Well, he could see this is the thing. He couldn't have done it in 2017 because there was no institutional grade custodial uh, offerings in, in crypto back then. Maybe. I mean, he could have gone for even he could have gone for GBTC, could have gone for the investment trust option, um, and which does trade at a premium. But I mean, it was around yeah. there. Um, I, it just seems to me that... Um, if there is a big bear, a big bear market in, in Bitcoin again, and you know the you know Bitcoin remains as volatile as hell relative to fiat currency. You know it's always yeah, definitely it's always been like that, and we will see big 
pullbacks and big push pushes forward as we've just seen. Uh, but and you know during that period, everyone everyone who is in it is going to get tested, etc. It just feels to me that I think from uh, from the big company perspective, maybe Sailor's the the um, the missionary who changes the narrative on it. But if you look at uh, you know uh, someone with a massive balance sheet looking to put a bit of money in it, I think for on a corporate level where it's just a business holding their treasury, it's not like an investment fund. The volatility of Bitcoin kind of precludes it somewhat mm. uh, from uh, from bit from being viewed in that because the market and the market for Bitcoin is still very very small relative to what it uh, relative to its ambitions as it were. And yeah. I I, w- I would think that the, these guys would be saying no. And you know maybe may, and if Sailor <laughs> Sailor is clearly uh, if recent performance is to be is to be trusted. You know, so far he's done. Uh, you know, he's made a huge amount of money. All he's done is he's it's almost, he's not treating it as an investment. This is simply their holdings as a treasury. So if yeah. they find something else that they think is a is going to be a, a better a better bet, it's like gold. Yeah, I mean, this is just this is just where they're holding their value that they can then invest in productive assets in the future. Uh, and so far, this has done him incredibly well. You know, he's he's had a great he's had a great run. I mean, I think from the um, from what he was, he's been buying recently. I mean, they were getting, I think, fifteen thousand dollars or something. I mean, so yeah. So I think I saw today it was about that. I think it was fifteen. So they now they've finished buying this latest round, which I think their average price on this latest round, which was like six, I think it was like six hundred and fifty million worth, was something like twenty one thousand. I think, but factoring in the purchases they made earlier, uh, I think their average price is about fifteen thousand. Fifteen five or fifteen six or something around there, right? Yeah, I mean, so clearly he's been successful so far. Uh, yeah, you but you know what? You're you're you're, you're also right. Is that is is as much and all as he's a somewhat of a um, you know maximalist or whatever you want to call it now. Uh, at some point, he's probably going to want to cash out a lot of it too. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I don't get that from him at all. I think like he's. I in, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. He's already got a fortune. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the that's one of the interesting sides to it. I feel like MicroStrategy could go to zero. I mean, the company could go completely bankrupt, like bankrupt, and he would just be the same. I mean, like if you if you listen to his interviews when he's talking about this stuff, like he has so much conviction in his own belief that I don't think. It's hard for me to imagine a, uh, an external situation that would make him change his mind. Well, so, he doesn't yeah, but, like he wants to sell. Yeah, but you've also got to remember that MicroStrategy is a publicly listed company, sure. not his not his personal bank account. Like, you, like we get the feeling that it kind of is a bit. So that if he's ousted by the board for being nah. irresponsible... I, I get the impression then, he's very... For, just for him to have been able to do this, mate, we're talking about not just buying some with the company's treasure. We're talking I'm just about, playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I know, I know. But like the fact that he's managed to get the company to borrow $650 million yeah, to know, buy right. Bitcoin, like issuing yeah. debt to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. Is, at, at, exactly. And he got it, right? He didn't, didn't he even got, need to blink to get it. huge influence. He might, like, I, I, I get the impression he's a one, it's a one-man band. It's like Elon Musk. Yeah, quite possibly, but even Musk could get booted. But you, but you wouldn't, because that'd tank. That would tank Tesla's stock price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know what? You... So, well, okay. So, hear hear me out. Yeah, what happens? Oh, I, 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 a bit of a hypothetical. What happens if Tesla decides to do the same thing as MicroStrategy? Uh, well, we get one of the biggest pumps. Mm. I mean. Yeah, I mean, okay, so today we're looking at Bitcoin 24K. This yeah, evening, I think it's like 20. This evening, 20, this evening is 23K, I think. Okay, so let's say 23K, fine. And this evening, Musk takes to Twitter, you know, and this yeah. is just following the past performance of his thinking of taking Tesla private at 420, funding secured. That's right. Musk makes a similar tweet. Uh, you know, <laughs> thinking of taking Bitcoin private out. You know, well, you know, something, something like you know, we're going to start buying some some Bitcoin. That we're considering the scale that could you know, because MicroStrategy is tiny compared to Tesla now. Yeah, the scale 
uh, I mean, it'd be the mother of all pumps for Bitcoin. I mean, see, I, see uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, well, I just <laughs> like Bitcoin's already big, so obviously the pump so far, it's you know, you need so much more capital to be rammed into the market in order to get a bigger pump. Uh, but I mean, this, I think this would be the, probably the biggest pump that Bitcoin would get after 10k. You know, after to after in terms of the percentage increase, I think that kind of announcement, considering Musk's following, would be pretty huge. Because yeah. remember, you know, people aren't so people still aren't searching for Bitcoin in on Google at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they're not. Uh, this is it, this is not reached any kind of mania phase like twenty seventeen yet. This is still. So I think I think Musk is one of those missionary figures. Yeah, if Sailor is a missionary, you know, Musk is an even God. easier promoter. It's God. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. If if that happens, which I can see, I can see that happening because I can see it happening from a number of perspectives with Tesla. Because Tesla, uh, so there's a couple of things about Tesla that they have also built quite a large network. Uh, so they have their cars, but they also have a network and their network of superchargers and their network of cars, because you see their cars all feed back data and information to Tesla and Tesla can do things like over the air updates of software and things like that. What I envisage Tesla going down the route of is installing things like a Bitcoin wallet on Tesla's that, uh, that effectively can then cover the cost of things like maybe after sales servicing or recharging uh, at, at supercharge points once they stop being free. So I can see Tesla moving into this space, A, from a treasury point of view, like micro strategy, but also as a utility point of view for their car network. And I think that's what probably Musk would have to be looking at at some point uh if not with bitcoin even maybe with their own cryptocurrency uh so that's what wouldn't surprise me would be if if they started adopting something like bitcoin but even developed their own tesla coin with a name like tesla you would think that they would go for tezos as a as a cryptocurrency i mean the name is so so similar <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, yeah, I can't. The thing, the thing is with Sailor and Musk, it does seem like something Musk might do. I mean, it's definitely not off the table. Yeah, the guys. Well, clearly... I think the other thing is people don't really know who Michael Saylor is, right? As well. Not yet. No. People, people know who Elon Musk is. You, you, you've got to have been living really off the grid if you've never heard of Elon Musk. So when, if if Elon Musk does say, you know what, we're going to make moves into Bitcoin, that's probably the vindication finally that it needs. Because you've got, you know, the guys like Jack Dorsey that have, you know, been into it. But for some reason, Musk carries this extra, like you said, this is just godlike status rather than a missionary. So I think that if that were to happen, uh, you know, one of those really big, mega companies then shit's gonna go crazy yeah i mean it would definitely pump the price long term what it would do yeah it's interesting because i think Ted, while you say you know he still has this aura uh, amongst many people many observers of being this genius figure uh you know so what you know robert downey jr famously saying his uh tony stark character that he played for all the Marvel movies was inspired by Elon Musk yeah. in real life. You know, this, this figure that he has, um, it certainly means a lot to a lot of people from mm. within the financial world. However, I think, he, I think he gets a bit more, certainly a lot more, um, stick as it were. I, you know, personally, I, you know, you hear some of the stories that get put out there yeah. uh, that make Tesla seem like, um, it's like, you know, there's just weird stuff going on with it. The whole thing with the Solar City merger and stuff. And, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's plenty that, like, I, I think it was Grant Williams who said that there's not a single part of Tesla's balance sheet that doesn't have hair on it. But, you know, Grant is somebody who thinks Tesla is going to go to zero. You know, he is he's very publicly said, you know, this is, there's so much fraud going on here. It's, it's going to go to zero. 
but you know, I, I'm not, so I don't study Tesla. I'm not a member of the Tesla Q community, but when uh, Tesla does get it, uh, when people do publish stuff that's strange about Tesla, I mean, it's obvious, I think it's obviously worth, um, you know, I think it's worth listening to. The thing is, you know, for everything that's been thrown at the guy over the years, uh, you Still know, going. he knows there's something he knows that everyone else doesn't. I mean, he's managed to, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's managed to succeed. He's managed to get Tesla and the S and P now. So his passive uh, money just getting rammed his way. Uh, well, even more than there was previously. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, it's quite a triumph and, uh, you know, and he's managed to do it. $626 billion. Yeah. $626 billion. So I not mean, that long ago, not that long ago, that would have been the biggest company in the world. Biggest listed company in the world. Yeah. It's crazy to think that, isn't it? Um, you know, not long ago, like you can do so many, 626 billion or whatever. I mean, just over 600 billion. How many, how many companies that we thought were really big companies can you fit into yeah. that? There are all manner of, uh, sort of metrics that we can do. Um, but Sam, before, uh, before we continue, actually, uh, what was mm. your rating for your first beer? Uh, excellent. <laughs> I'm going to have to relay that into our uh, very uh, over-engineered uh, booze, booms, and busts uh, rating system. Uh, that, the repeater was something that I would definitely uh, repeat. Yeah, I dare I say it is it is indeed a perfect session IPA at four point two percent. You know, it is on the light side, which is why you can you know you could consume quite a few. That that would be that's one I'm going to chuck an asterisk next next to for next summer. I think it's more a summer beer, um, but a pretty easy easy to drink, light, slightly citrusy uh, uh, IPA. Uh, I'm I was quite actually quite pleased with that uh, and. Yeah, as I said, I'm gonna even put a little asterisk next to that one, but I'll give that I'd give that a B plus. B oh, plus wow. for the repeater. Yeah, really enjoyed it actually. I would give the wild wild rhino, sorry, from Burnside Brewery. I think I would give it an A plus. Um, it's nice. Uh, yeah, it's not ten out of ten. It's not great, uh, but it is it is nice and it is drinkable. Uh, Four point five percent does. It doesn't taste exactly 4.5. I'd probably say some more like four, uh, but it is refreshing and it's quite nice. So eight plus. What do you want to next then? Right. So I've uh, I've mixed up the countries a little bit uh, with my order for my latest batch, and this is one from the Lervik Brewery in Norway, uh, and it is called Pants Optional, and I thought. <laughs> this would be quite the one to have. If you're buying beer for the name, this was why I bought this one because I'm on holiday and I'm not going to lie when I'm on holiday, pants are optional. Um, uh, pants by, by the, the way, American interpretation of the word. The Australian, or... the Australian and American interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, uh, pants being trousers to you weird folk. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a very bright chrome can with a with a dude, this like cartoon dude sitting on a an inflatable tube with a like a, a, a stable table across his lap and a laptop, and he's just floating on the sea, saying pants optional. Uh, it, that that resonates with me quite a bit while I'm on holiday. So uh, yeah, it's a double dry hopped IPA at five point five percent. Uh, definitely a little bit more earthy than the repeater, but uh, yet to properly crank in, but looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm onto one uh, called Elf Isolation in spirit of uh, of Christmas. This Indeed. is uh, a hoppy American style pale ale, 5.3% um, <clears throat> with a rather witty name, uh, but it is made uh, over in, uh, this is Lincolnshire actually. Uh, it's called Eight Sail Brewery. Uh, it has a very sort of, uh, you know, very sort of uh, homemade kind of label. And it's, uh, no, it's pretty interesting. I've got this, uh, so 5.3%, 500 mil bottle. And uh, yeah, an image, as you would expect, of an elf as it is Christmas. And this is elf isolation. Um, but yeah, this is uh, also established in 2010, coincidentally, the same as Burnside Brewery, but way down in England, in Lincolnshire. But no, it's pretty good. Pretty good so far. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. I um I was thinking as I uh, 
so I got, I got a, um, I got my food delivery today. So in September, I ordered my bird and roast potatoes and trimmings for Christmas. I got, a, I got ahead of the, the crowd. Maybe wow. I, I, for, I foresaw great issue with accessing <laughs> uh, food this Christmas back in September. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to order everything in. And I got delivered today as, uh, as, was ex- as was expected, as was hoped. I'm not going to lie on Sunday night, got a little, little touch and cloth a little bit that, that the food would get here today. If it didn't, I was going to be up that creek without a paddle. But it got here and I'm very happy with, uh, with the delivery and with the service from the, and no kickbacks here, but from Farmerson and Co., um, which are up, uh, up north of Leeds somewhere, I think they were anyway. Um, so the bird and all the food got delivered today. Um, but I was, when I was doing that, I was thinking to myself, um, what, what, what's, what's going to happen in the new year? Because 2020 has been a bit of a shit, uh, to be frank. And it feels like we're going to go into lockdown. Mate, Bitcoin's at all time highs and you're telling me we've had a bad time. Well, okay. The world's been a bit shit, but markets have actually been quite exciting this year. Don't you think? Um, right. to be fair, actually, you know what? So I don't think there's been a, well, 20, 20, 29, 2009, sorry, was a pretty fun year to be an investor. Uh, this year has been wild. You, you probably wouldn't have wanted to have been retiring this year, but there's still been plenty of money to make uh, out, out the back of it, plenty of opportunity. But what happens if we go into lockdown? What happens if basically 2021, at least to start with, until the vaccine kicks in, uh, what happens if it's, if it's history repeated? Do we, does, does, does stocks like Zoom all of a sudden explode in price again? Do we just see the same thing happen? Or is it kind of like everything just continues as it is, asset price inflation, uh, you know, stupid stimulus checks sent out to, to, to no effect, um, you know, people rushing into stockpile on dunny paper so that, you know, companies making PPE equipment go nuts again. Or is, is, what, 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 are, what are you looking at in 2021? I mean, what's, what's happening here? I don't, I'm kind of confused because at, at one point I, I, I wonder if they're the, or the vaccines all kick in numbers start coming down uh and all of a sudden it, you know things do go very much back to normal i almost feel like that would be boring going back to things the way they were i don't wish ill on anyone or anything like that but it, 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 what there's nothing there's not been a shortness of excitement in the market and i wonder just if we do go into another lockdown in the new year if there's going to be those same pockets are just, you know, now that people have sort of had a taste for what's going to move in that situation, uh, are they going to move again or is it, or is it just going to peter out into a non-event? Well, the impression I get is certainly that there will be support administered by central banks and by, um, the treasury secretaries around the world uh, to markets, uh, no matter what happens, or there will be an attempt that is made. I think next year, what next year offers, and one of the things that I think will challenge a lot of what we've seen this year is that I believe that there will be an increase in inflation, at least as it is reported next year. So in terms of actual consumer price inflation, I think we shall see higher figures. I think there is... um, Well, we already are, aren't we? I think I saw... Was it... uh, I saw someone the other day, I can't remember who it was, and they were like... I think inflation had shown to be like 1.6% or something somewhere, but energy was down like 8% and everything everything else was up like 4%. So the overall figure was sort of nominal. Uh, well, well, but, this is exactly what I. This is exactly what I mean. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I mean, is in inflation going up is going to get a space in the newspaper, right? I mean, this is. Yeah. The, we're we're talking about you know inflation figures going up. You know, I don't mean by you know by one basis point, and then I get mm. to say I'm right. I think, as in, uh, we're <laughs> going to see you know something significant that we've not seen over the past uh, decade. You know, something mm. that makes people think, oh. Something has changed here. You know, something has changed. 
I think as the world reopens, and this is either via vaccines, and probably will be via vaccines, uh, which yeah. makes governments say, you know, certain sectors can reopen again. Maybe it'll take we a while, maybe it won't. But I think next year there will be some at least moderate reopening of the economy when it comes to things like flights and things. You know, it's very yeah. strange to think about that. Where here we are in the UK with all these countries banning flights from the UK. But next year, I believe that we will see something of that. And here we are, and it's almost Christmas, and crude is already $50, right? Mm. We have seen a significant bottoming in agricultural commodities this year, right? Yeah. There has been, you know, these, um, you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, these things have just been trending down for a very long time. Yeah. I've made quite a significant bounce off this bottom that is the uh, that, that occurred kind of in March. You know, this big trend that this so sort of very very easy to follow trend that's been heading down has finally bounced off. Um, and so here we are. We you know it looks like travels getting wrecked, and yet here we are. And oil's at fifty dollars or almost fifty dollars. So I think when we reopen, there's going to be some of that. I think all of the government fiscal uh, programs that have been unleashed and will continue to be ad administered while there are some people uh, on furlough etc uh, while we get stimulus checks in the states you know i and you know the, these these measures are really very tame compared to other countries i mean there are some places in the world where they've gone much further than just you know sending people a check or you know allowing businesses to borrow money from the government to pay their employees you know there are some places going a lot further than that and I think next year, we're actually finally going to see a quite meaningful rise in, in inflation. A lot of people think that inflation has been rising, but the government's been massaging the figures. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, the inflation's kind of, you know, the, the inflation's there, but it's taking a different form. So we see asset price inflation. Mm. We see shrinkflation in goods. You know, Toblerone's getting smaller. Companies, <laughs> uh, you know, the companies that sell spices—they're making the apertures and the holes in your in your spice bottles bigger, so that you yeah. run out faster. Things like that. Um, but I think next Holy year we're going to see. Some... I only just realized that's what they've been doing. No wonder I yeah. go through spice so goddamn quickly these days. Exactly. You've just been pouring chili on everything. That's why it tastes Holy so crap. <laughs> but uh, I think next year we're going to see some some good old fashioned inflation. Uh, yeah, I say good. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is a really bad thing. I think this is a um, this is awful, and so I, I think it's, it, it is it is is terrible, and it's it, it hits the the worst off in society the most. Yeah, you know, definitely. Rich people are fine. Everyone who owns assets is kind of fine, depending on the asset. Mm. Um, and it's it's the people that can't afford to go to Costco. You know, they don't have you know a, a business permit that allows them to go to Costco, so they aren't buying bulk. Uh, you know, it hits the worst off the worst, and uh, which drives then people to ask the government for more programs, etc., which leads to a self-fulfilling sort of cycle. But yeah. it, I think we're going to see that next year. I think, I, and from that, I think what will rise very significantly next year, which interestingly we've seen a big spike already. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, I, I have written this all out uh, before this podcast and before this big spike, uh, is that I think we're going to see uh, a big rise in silver in 2021 mm. so of the precious metals gold is the um you know gold is seen as the big daddy and this is the this is the one that people flock to has the most allure for the institutional investor but for the few institutional investors go for it silver is kind of the punter's metal but uh, ultimately gold is a metal that is affected by the movement of uh, interest rates the most it is more sensitive to interest rates while silver is more sensitive to inflation. And over the last 10 years, we have seen big moves in, in gold, and the silver's kind of lacked, and it's uh, lagged behind, and it's been kind of beaten down. Um, and uh, this is more to do with the, uh, the move of interest rates going down, or, uh, which is helping gold, without mm -hmm. seeing you know, the inflation going up, uh, which, is, which helps gold, but really puts fire on the silver. So I think next year, we are going to see a real significant move in silver i think it's really going to catch up it's going to re you know restore its lost honor as a monetary metal and uh, i think it's going to it's going to be some you know there's going to be some serious fireworks there uh, but that's my that's kind of my main prediction for 2021 but there are, you know there are there are plenty of other things we can discuss for me sam i'm i'm interested to know what what you make of it because when it comes to inflation 
um, all of the the big rise of the you know the tech unicorns or the and now yeah. the leprechauns as we call them uh, here at BBB <laughs> uh, that we've seen, you know, this has been on the back of very uh, low inflation metrics. Uh, yeah. If you're investing in a growth company, growth companies don't shouldn't be doing all that well in a um, in the, in a high inflation or a moderately high inflation environment because why would you you, you know you're more reluctant to lend money to businesses when inflation is high and you don't know how much you're going to get back on that loan in the future. Yeah, Bitcoin you know has this has this aura of being almost like a, tech, a growth stock on steroids. One of the big things for me that I think is you know, it's an unknown that I don't know about. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Could be really bad. Could be good. Who knows? You know, the the Bitcoin narrative is it's defense from inflation, and yet the way it trades is like a growth stock, which should do bad in high inflation. We haven't really seen that yet. What do you think is going to go on there? Uh, in that space, I think I think we'll probably end up seeing a Bitcoin shift um, shift across how it responds to, to different things because it's not because it's somewhat of a unique asset because it's a new yeah, it it's a it's a new asset and totally. it has responded in the past to to look like a growth stock like a tech stock uh and we haven't really seen what it does in high inflationary periods because we haven't really had high inflationary periods yet so it's a bit of an unknown, but we do, we have seen it before do very well in crisis. So in 2013, it did extraordinarily well. Um, and it may, and it, and it has, it actually has done exceptionally well this year, even though it like in March, I think it, it crashed as just like everything else. So again, it, it replicated that idea of a growth stock or a tech stock in March, when it like crashed with everything else, when there was a flight of capital, uh, you know, to, to perceived safety. Um, and, and it was like $4,000 in, in March, but you know, you take out that year on year, it's significantly up. So it's, it's weird. It trades at different periods on did, did, according to different events, strangely. <laughs> and I think, I think we're actually still weirdly enough in a price discovery phase for it. Um, so no one really knows just how big it can be because at the end, it's, at its core, it's a network. Uh, it's, it's a financial network. Um, and the question that people need to try and figure out is how much is potentially the world's most widespread or could be the world's most widespread and accessible financial network actually be worth. Um, but try and relate that not into fiat money. So just a little brain exercise for everyone out there. <laughs> so it could do, look, I don't, the, 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 I do, I've never had any doubt that I don't, it's not going, to, I don't think it's going to go back to zero. You know, this, this idea that people still have that Bitcoin's going to zero uh, is not existent. Just like Tesla, Tesla's not going to zero because there is value in that company. Um, I, I, again, I don't, I don't necessarily think what it is now is, is appropriate, but, clearly i'm wrong um so but nonetheless it none of those things are, are, are worthless for a start um but i don't see it slowing down in a high inflationary environment i see there being a greater shift of capital out of the fiat money world and into into cryptocurrencies um because why would you keep your money in your bank account it's it's just not it's not doing anything there and you could move it into other investments that potentially generate yield. But a lot of that yields probably going to be eroded by inflation if it comes anyway. So, and, and it looks like if inflation does pick up, then you can almost guarantee that with the situation that the world's in at the moment, uh, wages are not going to keep up with inflation. Um, so, you know, real inflation is going to really, it's going to hit, like you say, it just hits the, hits the poorest, the hardest, separates that that makes that gap even bigger it's it's funny you know all the things you're talking about there before and if we do move into and i, I agree i think i think inflation's coming in a big way um it <laughs> funnily enough comes back to to what i was talking to what what i opened up with uh, talking about that ripper documentary about the yorkshire ripper because that was the 70s uh 
and they were the way they, the way they were talking about England in the seventies. Now I'm no I'm no uh, expert on British history, but it sounds like the economic environment at that period of time was, you know, there was a lot of social unrest. Um, you know, inflation was was you know in the economy and wages were not keeping up. There was you know a great deal of unrest amongst people. Um, it it from what that they were describing in that documentary really had a lot of parallels to the world as it exists now and to me it feels like that that social discord is just going to really start to ramp up and people are just going to get more wound up as as, as what's been happening this year and effectively what's been happening since 2009 continues probably even accelerates uh and it just causes more issues uh in in society and i actually think that ends up being a good thing uh for something like bitcoin because it's very much anti-establishment it's it's anti-centralized authority uh it's a bit of a fuck you to the man so to speak so i think that that probably ends up being a good environment for something like bitcoin and cryptocurrency yeah, it will be quite a year. I mean, oh, no yeah. matter which, which, <laughs> no matter which way it goes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty big year. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you come off of a year like this, like what we've had, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you kind of go, like, how how does the next one compare? Um, and I think that, like, say, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be wild. I think. What's the uh, what's the drinking age in Australia? Uh, sixteen. It, all right, all right, okay, yeah. I this, think, the, or is that just when? I don't know. No, well, eighteen. Eighteen, you can. I don't know. Well, you know, but it's in the teens, right? So the, well, there's you, the same. You, can, you can only go to the pub when you're eighteen. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Which is which is completely <laughs> completely normal and acceptable, but. I've, there's just, I've just seen so many people repeat this phrase on, on Twitter and it's obviously coming from Americans where they say, you know, if you think 2020 was bad, wait until it turns 21 and it starts drinking. Uh, As though the, this is the age that you start drinking. You know, it can only come from an American. And I, I've tried to find who originally said this, but because so many people have repeated it, so many people have stolen the line. Yeah, I, it's I, too I, hard to trace back now. Right, I can't find who it is. Uh, but it seems like a very American phrase. <laughs> Obviously, not an Australian that did it. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely someone in the no, states. Definitely not. Australian. But um, yeah, no matter what, I mean, 2021 is going to be pretty wild year. I wonder if it'll be, you know, a year where we get some kind of relief, some catharsis, um, or if they just carry on, you know, coming up with new tiers. I mean, we've got tier four now. Why not tier five? You know, well, that, well, it has to. Well, it, someone said to me the other day, tier five is the purge, basically. <laughs> Um, Mate, don't give them any <laughs> ideas, all right? <laughs> well, I'm oh, sorry. Okay, so I just want to. I probably want to finish up with this, right? When we were listening, so because I'm not like connected anymore, we actually listened to the news before, and um, and Boris Johnson was like, "Oh, half a million, half a million, yeah, five hundred thousand people were have been vaccinated so far," and so I was like, "Well, so next year it's got to get to one of two points, right? Where either." this new mutated COVID mutant virus mutant uh, has spread so quickly and so fast amongst the community that everyone will have had it or a whole bunch more people are going to be vaccinated. So there has to be a point next year where the numbers decrease of people getting it just simply because there aren't enough people left without it to get it or people are vaccinated so they're not getting it so next year the numbers have to come down in terms of covid cases if they don't then we absolutely are 100 certain that we're being played funny buggers with um so in that sense things have got to get better right what's that song is it d-ream things can only get better <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like the price of oil going up to me, uh, but yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it does, it feels like there's so much, you know, it's been a while and I think a lot of people are really fed up and I, I think people become quite apathetic. That's kind of my view, though. I'm sure there are people who are still very 
very um you know we're still afraid and still very um very cautious about the whole scenario but it does feel to me like there's still going to be a lot of there's a lot of pent-up energy out there and if there Mm. is an opening that is allowed and even if it's not allowed i think we will reach a point where people do want to uh to break free somewhat uh you know being back in aberdeen it's 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 interesting speaking to my uh, to my old friends living here who are working out here. Uh, oil industry has obviously been uh, very hard hit by yeah. by the Wu flu, and it's been just interesting just speaking to them and seeing you know how they feel about it. You know how open they are to Nicola Sturgeon's uh, you know just destruction of their civil liberties. Really? And, and yeah, it's been interesting that like I see for me, I'm very um, you know I think civil liberties are one of the most important things that we all have. Yeah, uh, and more important even than certain crises that uh, that occur that uh, people want to destroy them over. I think they're uh, very important. I think it's this has actually been key to America's su- success in general is its preservation of civil civil liberties to a greater degree than uh, than we preserve them here in the UK. And uh, but it's been interesting speaking to my old mates and just seeing like you know there's there's definitely people there's unease about it. It's like oh we're in tier three again. Here we are in Aberdeen in tier three again it's december this is ridiculous but there's still you know the the kind of the the feeling i have over it you know my feeling my my rejection of it what sort of drew you know drove me to sweden in the first place it's not i i you know i don't see much of that i don't see much of that uh and i find i find that interesting um but Hmm. You know, we'll see what 2021 holds, won't we? Um, Sam, do you, shall we shall we do another episode after Christmas, but before New Year? Uh, we, we we probably shall. Uh, yeah, That's I think we shall. Do. We shall do one next week before uh, before the New Year. We'll have our we'll have a booze, booms, and bust pre Hogmanay, Hogmanay. <laughs> ah, perfect, perfect. Well, I look forward to it, Sam. And uh, if you are listening to this, I hope you've uh, hope you enjoyed, and I hope you have a very merry Christmas. It's you know just a few days away, and uh, you know despite Indeed. all of the um, all the awful things that we've seen this year, all of the uh, staying inside, I really do hope that if you are listening to this, that you are uh, at least in touch with friends and family. Hopefully, you uh, you can manage to. Uh, manage to see some friends, manage to uh, reconnect with people who uh, you know, have been isolated and are able to have a very Merry Christmas in the very traditional sense of the word. But uh, until next week, until, uh, until our Hogmanay special, uh, well, uh, have a good one and we'll see you next time.